those of you online, good to have you joining us. Uh, my name is Anthony Ballard. I am the director of discipleship here at Bell Prez. And happy Memorial Day. It's good to see people. You guys actually came. You showed up. Thank you. <laughs> Um, the scripture today comes from Hebrews chapter 8, verses 6 through 13. The covenant of which Jesus is mediator is superior to the old one, since the new covenant is established on better promises. For if there had been nothing wrong with that first covenant, no place would have been sought for another. But God found fault with his people and said, The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and with the people of Judah. And it will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand and led them out of Egypt because they did not remain faithful to my covenant. And I turned away from them, declares the Lord. This is the covenant I will establish with the people of Israel. After that time, declares the Lord, I will, sorry, I lost my place. <laughs> I, after that time, I will put my laws in their minds and write them on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer will they teach their neighbor to, or say to one another, know the Lord, because they will all know me, from the least of them to the greatest. For I will forgive their wickedness, and I will remember their sins no more. By calling this covenant new, he has made the first one obsolete, and what is obsolete and outdated will soon disappear. Lord Jesus, I thank you for your word. We thank you, Jesus, that you bring to us a new covenant, a new way of life, a new way of being. So help us to do this so that we can live out being just neighbors in our community, in our world. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So the series that we're in right now is called Just Neighbors. And it's a, it's a sermon series about justice, about discipleship, and about land. And it's specifically about how do disciples of Jesus uh, inhabit the places, the land that we live on. And how do we do that in a way that heals the injustice that the land has experienced? And here at Bell Press, we talk about six marks of a disciple. And specifically, we're learning what can we do to heal the historic injustices of redlining and racially restrictive covenants in our region. And the covenant is a key word in the passage that we, that we just read. And so I'm going to use that word a lot. So before we keep going, I want to define what it means. A covenant is an agreement or a partnership between God and human beings. And they have physical and spiritual implications. And covenants also come with terms and agreements for both God and for the people. And the most common form of covenant that we see today is, is what we call marriage. And the last time I preached, I told you that I got married in, back in December, which means that I entered into a covenant. And the vows that Sarah and I made with each other are the promises, the terms that make up our covenant with each other. And so when decorating our apartment, I have put some pictures on the wall, and there's one particular picture of our mar a marriage photo, and in that frame, I have our vows around it. So we can always remember what we promised to each other. And so one day, Sarah and I were having an argument and she, she, um, we were arguing about something that, I honestly, I can't even remember what it was, but she wanted me to do something that I didn't want to do. <laughs> and so in the middle of our argument, she actually got up from the couch, and she walked over to the picture frame, and she started reading my vows back to me. <laughs> she tried to use my vows against me. <laughs> but thankfully, 
I knew that going into marriage that Sarah and I took marriage very seriously. And so when I wrote my vows, I didn't write anything over the top that I couldn't actually live out. <laughs> I, was re- I challenged myself, but I wasn't ridiculous, you know? <laughs> but the key here is that Sarah wanted me to hold true to the thing that I had promised to live out. She wanted me to keep the agreements and the, and the promises of our covenant. And so in Christian weddings, this is why we say that when we're, people are getting married, they're making their covenant before God, which is the spiritual, before family and friends, which is the physical, because covenants have spiritual and physical power. And sometimes, because of that, sometimes we need to remind ourselves of what our covenants actually say. And in the Old Testament of the Bible, there's four covenants that God makes with humans. And he makes these with uh, four different people. The first covenant is with Noah. And it's a promise that God makes with Noah that he will never again destroy the earth through the floods. And then he makes a covenant with Abraham, wherein he tells Abraham to leave his home and that he would give him a good land to inhabit. And God will bless him. He's going to make his name great among the nations. And then there's a covenant with Moses. And this is a covenant God makes with Israel through Moses in that they would be his chosen people and they will represent him to the nations, but they had to keep his commands, the Ten Commandments and the rest of the law. And then there's a covenant with King David. When King David is, um, when King David, God promises that his descendants will carry on the kingdom of Israel forever. And specifically, God tells him that he's going to have an ever, that one of his descendants will have an everlasting kingdom that will see no end. And that is a foretelling of Jesus and the kingdom of God. And so these four covenants span hundreds of years. And these covenants didn't only cover Noah or Abraham, but they they covered the generations of people because God's covenants are future-minded. And these covenants usually came with some type of sign or a seal that will let people know that the covenant happened. Like for Noah, the covenant sign was a rainbow. And with Abraham, it was circumcision for all the men. And I don't know about you, but if I have to make a covenant with God, I'd much rather have a rainbow be the sign of my covenant (laughs) than... (laughs) Adult circumcision. (laughs) Like, did Abraham even ask God, (laughs) can I have a rainbow instead? Like, maybe we can make it a double rainbow so I don't have to go through that. He should have (laughs) asked. It's not in scripture though. But because the God of the Bible is intentional, he makes covenants with us to make our relationship official. And so every relationship, um, these are serious covenants. They're not these throwaway kind of contracts but they make relationships official and they change realities. And so that's why God puts terms on his covenants. Because without these terms, he has to, because without these terms, it can lead to abuse. Any relationship without boundaries leads to some type of abuse. And so this is where I would like us to look closer at the covenant that God makes with Abraham. So the covenant was that God will make his name great, that he would bless him, and specifically that God will give him land to inhabit, a good land to inhabit. But Abraham and his family had to follow the Lord's terms. And in Genesis 18, 19, it says that, for I have chosen Abraham so that he will direct his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing what is right and just, so that the Lord will bring about for Abraham what he has promised him. 
To have the promises of God, specifically to have the land, Abraham and his family had to be people of righteousness and people of justice. And the reason was because the nations surrounding them were people who practiced injustice. They were built on that. And so they would be marked as people of God um, by doing justice, or to use our Bell Prez language, to heal injustice. And Abraham would have had a lot of people in his household too. He would have had servants and um, people living with him, even though he didn't have children yet. But all of these people that lived with him had to keep the way of the Lord and be righteous and just people. So Abraham would have to teach his future children how to do this. And so that's why it's important for parents to be discipling your kids. Church can help, but it's parents that are the most critical part of it. Because Abraham's covenant wasn't just for him. It was for the future generations to come. Because God doesn't just deal with individuals. He deals with whole communities. He deals with neighborhoods. And it says, for I have chosen Abraham so that he would direct his children, his household, to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice. And in all four covenants that God made with Noah, with Abraham, Moses, David, humans screwed it up. Every single time. And God, so God would say, teach your children, because it maybe wasn't necessarily the, the people that the covenant were made with, but somewhere down the line, those future generations would mess it up because they forgot the way of the Lord or because the way of the Lord wasn't taught to the children. And so these people would go on to worship other gods, they would practice injustices, and they would face the consequences of their sin. But this is where the beauty of God covenants come in, comes in. No matter what humans did, no matter how egregious their breaking of the covenant is, God always kept his side of the promise, every time. And to this day, he still does. And so it's the spiritual side of covenants that actually show us how covenants shape realities. Which brings us back to the theme of this sermon series, Just Neighbors and the History of Redlining and Restrictive Covenants. See, in housing, um, there's these covenants that if you're a buyer, there are these agreements between buyers and sellers and saying that I will use this property for this or I won't use it for that. And some of you, for instance, can't even paint your house red without freaking out or breaking <laughs> a covenant with your neighbors. And nationally, there's been a particularly evil covenant known as racially restrictive covenants. And these prevented people who were not white from living in certain neighborhoods. And these existed and they were legal for most of the 20th century. And this even happened here locally in Seattle, on the east side, and closer here in Bellevue, and in some cases, even a few blocks away from this very church. These properties would say things that this cannot be leased or sold or rented to uh, specifically naming Chinese, Japanese, Filipino, Jewish or black people. And even though the Fair Housing Act made these illegal, we are still uh, feeling the effects of these covenants today. Because they've shaped our neighborhoods, they shaped our schools, and in some cases, even our churches. And so, while the, it's illegal, the injustice has not been healed. And last week, Pastor Scott, in his sermon, he talked about this uh, in more depth, and so I encourage you, if you haven't seen it yet, to go back and watch what he said and you can visit on our website, um, bellpress.org justice, and it'll have more, um, a deeper dive of the research that has gone into this. And so I encourage you as you're learning to really be thinking about where am I hearing 
exclusionary language happen or discussions happen, whether in your schools, your neighborhoods, your jobs. It's happening. And how can we begin to listen for it and stand against it? And so there's one particular restrictive covenant that I want to read. And it's in, it happened in Seattle. And reading it really struck me to the physical power of covenants. I should say this physical and spiritual power of covenants. And the language is outdated, but more specifically, the language is evil. And it says, the parties hereto signing and executing this instrument hereby mutually covenant, promise, and agree with the, with the others and for the respective heirs and assigns that no part of said lands owned by them shall never be used, occupied, or sold by, leased, conveyed, rented, or given to Negroes or any persons of the Negro blood. Do you see this? These people actually understood covenant. <laughs> they understood the power of covenant because just like the covenants God makes, this one's thinking about the future. It's thinking about the futures to come, the heirs and the assigns that will come after this, not just one transaction, but all transactions going forward. These covenants shape the makeup of our region and they shape our, our, the existence of, our, of us now. And as Julie Metz has said in a, in a video, she said that the existence of these covenants are antithetical to the kingdom of God. And I agree. So we gotta remember, covenants are, a part, are promises and agreements that we make between God and humans, and they have physical and spiritual implications. So if we live in the environments established on these racially restricted covenants, we have to ask the question, have we made agreements with the wrong spiritual beings? Have we made partnerships with these wrong beings? Ephesians 5.11 tells us, don't take part in fruitless works of darkness, but instead expose them. This is why we have to talk about this in church, because evil is aggressive and it's intentional. So doing what is right and doing what is just needs to be intentional. So we can break partnerships with these spiritual forces and make the right partnerships with God. And let me tell you, these are covenants worth breaking. So a few months ago, a team of congregants and lifelong elders who are leading this uh, initiative were searching for a way to help you all, for who are homeowners, search up your property and look for restrictive language. Uh, but the process is really complicated and it's kind of boring and no one would have done it. <laughs> but then we had this God connection and we were introduced to a local title and escrow company called BKCL. And they heard about the work we were doing and they jumped in to help us with this project. And they are offering their services for free, but they also are offering to check for anyone's, any restrictive covenant language in your property and they'll help you remove it. And on top of that, they will also enable you to add new and inclusive covenants to your property. And so if you own this property, you can write a new covenant for your home. And so we're encouraging everyone to take time to prayerfully consider what do you want your home to be about? What new covenant do you want to establish for your house? And the form to do this is on our website um, that you can follow there. And there's a team of people who will be in the lobby after services who can talk with you and ask, answer any questions. Um, but we've made this process as simple as possible. But here's the thing, it's still a process that you have to go through. The covenants won't magically appear with a click of a button. You have to actually do it. And then you have to actually live it because that's what makes it a covenant and not just a casual statement. And so, also, if you live in an apartment like I do, 
You can also write a more personalized covenant for your home. What do you want your apartment to be about? And how can you use your, your, your living in this apartment community as a way to bring justice and healing to your community and the schools around your apartment? Um, you can replace your eat, pray, love sign with a new covenant on your wall. <laughs> Millennials get that joke. <laughs> Maybe some of the other ones do. <laughs> but apartment people, I would also say for us apartment living people that we can also have conversations with people that we know that own homes. And, and they can learn about this as well. The president of BKCO is a man named Darren. And Darren uh, and I had lunch recently, and we talked about everything from Jesus to justice to Air Jordans. <laughs> and he said that the reason he's excited for his team to be helping us with this project, he said this is an opportunity for people to tell a new story for our region. And it's an opportunity for us to ask the question, what do we want our property to say to the world? And Darren also said that this project would help get him back into church. And so at 11 o'clock, he's going to be here today in worship, which I'm excited about. And so uh, there's a map that has uh, certain dots in where all the old covenants existed. And this represents all the old language that is all over the place in, in Seattle. You can see this map on our website. And um, it's covered in this racist language. But imagine a new map where it tells a new story of people committing to keep the way of the Lord, to be healers of injustice, not just in their, on their home, but in their whole neighborhood, in the community around them. There's a researcher that says that racially restrictive covenants haunt Seattle. And this whole project, the New Covenant Project, was inspired by Hebrews 8:13, And it says, by calling this covenant new, Jesus has made the first one obsolete, and what is obsolete and outdated will soon disappear. And many of you know Linda Fluke. She's sitting right here. <laughs> She's a prayer minister here at this church. She's been a part of Bell Press since the 50s, since the, since the beginning of this church. And she grew up in Bellevue. And she lived here when these covenants were still legal and enforceable. And she didn't know the depth of which um, Bellevue had this racial injustice that existed. And now Linda lives in Kirkland. And the property that she, she owns does not have racially restrictive language. But still, Linda had a house of prayer in her home. She invited us, some of us over to, to pray with her. And she also wrote a personal new covenant for her home that you can read on the website. And, but the covenant that will live on her deed sounds like this. I declare that every human being has the right to own a house. It's a fundamental aspect of human dignity and a basic necessity of life. Let it be known that discrimination in housing will not be tolerated and that all individuals to have the right to choose where they live. This will stand as a testament to my commitment to ensuring that every person has the opportunity to attain their desire of home ownership. Anyone who wishes to purchase this home from me is hereby eligible, regardless of race, religion, or socioeconomic status. This is my covenant, and I stand by it. That language will live on the actual deed of Linda's home. And one day, if someone buys the property from Linda, they will read that language, and they may choose to remove it. Or they'll choose to live it out. A few people have asked me, Isn't, aren't these covenants things just virtue signal, signaling? <laughs> like, aren't you just saying stuff to, to look good and sound good? But virtue signaling happens when you make a statement and have no intention of carrying it out. Kind of like, a, it's a sign though, like when you wear a wedding ring, a wedding ring is the sign of the covenant. 
I have to actually live this out. <laughs> I hope I'm living it out. I'm living it out, Sarah, right? <laughs> She's cla- she clapped. <laughs> this isn't virtue signaling, right? And so if you know Linda Fluke, you know that she's a disciple, and she's going to live this out. And so we are encouraging all of you to live it out. The Apostle Paul said in, in Corinthians that the kingdom of God is not a matter of talk, but it's of power. And so this is an invitation to covenant, not to contract, not to statements. But whether it's in marriage, whether it's in housing, covenants have spiritual and physical power, and they shape realities. And this is not only for Bell Press. This can be for other churches and other people in our local community as well. So God knew, God knew that the four covenants he made with Abraham, Moses, Noah, and King David, that at some point someone would break the covenant, whether them or their descendants. And he also knew that several millennia later, that here in Seattle, that people would write and uphold racially restrictive covenants that would prevent people made in his image from living on land that he created. Can you believe it? The audacity. (laughs) He knew this was going to happen, yet he always remains faithful to his part of of the covenants that he makes. And he remained faithful, most importantly, by sending us Jesus. And so Hebrews 8 tells us that the covenant of which Jesus is mediator is superior to the old one since the new covenant is established on better promises. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and with the people of Judah. God has, ha- has had his covenants broken multiple, through multiple generations and multiple times, yet he's so bent on loving and partnering with his people. This new covenant that, that we get from Jesus is that Jesus on the cross took all the consequences, all the sin, all the uh, effects of those breaking those covenants, he's taken them on himself. And so it's Jesus who actually brings the promises of the old covenants to all of us. It's Jesus that brings the blessings of the covenant of Abraham. And it's Jesus who is the king of the kingdom that was promised to King David. And his kingdom is coming with justice and with peace and with righteousness for all people everywhere. This covenant, Hebrews says, I will establish with the people of Israel. And after that time, declares the Lord, I will put my laws on their minds I will write them on their hearts. I will be their God, and they will be my people. No longer will they teach their neighbor or say to one another, know the Lord, because they will all know me. From the least of them to the greatest, for I will forgive their wickedness and remember their sin no more. This is the new covenant that we have in Jesus, and it can be that way as disciples. We can represent this for our whole entire region. And I do believe that something happens that when we let this, the reality of what Jesus has done, the new covenant that he brings overtake our lives, and then we live that out in our communities, in our schools, in our neighborhoods, in our apartment buildings, we can be the just neighbors and write that new story that our region needs. And so I want to close with an action step. And this action step is not, you don't have to do this out of any religious obligation. There's no obligation. It's only gratitude that we do this. And so the action step is that in light of Jesus being the ultimate covenant keeper, pray. Pray and ask him how he wants to use you to be a just, be a just neighbor. What things can you be hearing and, and, and seeing for that's happening? And then you and your family sit down, write a new covenant of how you will live in light 
of, of racial restrictive covenants and tell a new story for our region. And then we go and live as just neighbors. We live this thing out. And so it's a covenant that is written in the deeds of our homes, but most importantly, it is a covenant that is written in our hearts and in our minds. Amen? Amen. So let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you are the covenant keeper, the covenant bringer, and we get to live in, in that. And so Lord, help us to be the just neighbors that you call us to be and tell a new story for our region, a story of hope, a story of justice, and a story of peace. Lord, we thank you for this region of Seattle, and we have hope for it. And so Lord, use us to bring your name glory. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.